0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. In the last few weeks we've been looking at what it means to reveal your faith in the everyday, to on one hand not be over the top with your faith, but on the other hand not hide your faith, not, not suppress your faith, not shroud your faith, to just let your faith ooze out like fireflies they've got a warm glow now there are different ways of sharing your faith and we've been looking at that what it means to be a firefly how we could do that practically and in the first week we learned that one of the simplest ways to share your faith is just to sow spiritual seeds to have a familiar transparency to go to those that you know and to just be who you are then last week we looked at the question uh, how do I know that God exists and what we do in that situation when someone asks us that? And we, we often shut down because we think it's too much of an intellectual argument. We realize that if we just ask some questions into that, then it keeps the conversation open. Now, uh, this morning we're looking at how do we share our faith in a in a transforming way, in a way that is challenging and transforming for people, in a way that still keeps an openness, but... Uh, it's effective and i don't know about your experiences but even just hanging out with some of the people that have been at christianity explained with us every sunday afternoon at 4:30 we've been talking through what i call nosebleed theology it just makes your head spin and often we get to that nosebleed theology and actually it was last week with one of the guys there uh, he expressed the dynamic that I see all the time with people. And as we're talking through the theology, he just asked me a simple question. He said, Sam, what was your story? What was your experience? And things started to click. Now, there are ways to share. There's uh, overt ways and there's subtle ways. Overt ways is like this lady that I met once in Paris. I was lining up in Notre Dame. This lady came up to me. She had big hair, big hair. It was like out here. And uh, she had badges on. Uh, her her vest that she had and the blue jeans and some cowboy boots. And she comes right up to me and she says, Parlez-vous anglais? And uh, I said, you're not from America, are you? <laughs> oh my gosh, how did you guess? As I'm looking at the American flag pin and the cowboy boots and the big hair, I just said, just a hunch. <laughs> just, just a hunch. Um, that's overt sharing. Now, you know, I I think there there are Christians that can be like that. Um, They've learnt their ways to share. They've learnt their evangelistic exercises, and uh, they're up in people's face like that. Whilst it's amusing, we Australians, we don't take to that style of conversation all too well, do we? we? We like authenticity. We like reality. So there's the overt sharing, and then there's the more subtle sharing, just like this guy from Christianity Explained asked me, What is my story? And so what this passage from the Old Testament, Exodus 3, shows us actually is it shows us a really good framework for you to share your story because we often hear it as sharing our testimony, right? But I think talking about sharing a testimony, it gets undersold these days. It's a bit bleh. Uh, We want something deeper, a framework that's going to help us share that in a way that is a little bit more transforming. And I thought the best way for us to get that framework is to look at the framework of Moses' encounter with God. Because on one hand, he believed in this God, but he had never up until this point encountered. He'd never been transformed by this God. And we see some steps in his transformation that will help you frame up how you tell your story. So here are the steps that we see, and this is where we're going to go this morning. There's a disruption, there's an expansion, there's contradiction, and then there's sending. Disruption, expansion, contradiction, sending. In other words, here are the questions that I'm going to ask you this morning that you can write down and work out how you frame up your story if ever you get the chance to share your experience. How did God disrupt you? You, you might share how God, how God expanded your view of Him. You might share how God contradicted you. And you also might share how God sent you. You see, the first thing you can ask yourself in your story and frame up and and prepare if you're in this conversation is, how did God disrupt you? Because we see that in Moses' story. God disrupts Moses. It says here in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Man, what an exciting life. Middle of nowhere, you're eighty years old and you've you've been resigned to looking after your father-in-law's sheep, working in the father-in-law's business. Does life get any better? <laughs> he's he's out there in the middle of nowhere tending sheep, flicking grass, and he sees a burning bush. And it says there that he, he it, it then says that Moses goes over. It says he's tending to Jethro's flock. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see what this strange sight is. Is it just me or is it funny how God often grabs you on the detours of life? Is it funny how God grabs you? Because, look, what is a burning bush? What's a burning bush here? A burning bush. What made Moses, as the word say, go over? It meant to go off the beaten path, to take a different route, to detour. What is it that made Moses detour? A burning bush. A burning bush is something that contradicts the view of reality that you have. That's what the burning bush was. It it wasn't burning up. And look, here's what I find. Rarely do people come to faith just by thinking about it. More often than not... I don't know if this is true of your experience, but people come to faith when something or someone comes in that an experience or a thought or a person that they can't account for. And they go, What is, what is this? What, 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 what is this about them? What, what has happened here? Has that happened to you? I want us, if you're a Christian, to think about what was your disrupting moment with God? I had a chat with a really good friend that was searching this week. And here's what she said. She said as she got closer to God and as she, as she started to experience him in a new way for the first time, and she's still experiencing, here's what she said. She said, I for the first time began to see beyond the one-dimensional life that so many people on the lower North Shore live. Something came in. Someone came in. A community came in, something, something cut across the grid of the way that she saw the world. So here's the first principle. You don't begin to find God unless something, someone interrupts your life and disrupts you. That God disrupts you like that. It was Thomas Kuhn, the scientist, uh, that said that we are often self-confirming people. He was the one who came up with the term paradigm shift. Have you heard that word? Kuhn said that we view the world through this grid-like system of all of these different frameworks that help us understand the world. It's called a worldview, like a set of glasses that we always have on at any one point in time. Now, he said the challenge with the glasses is we're always self-confirming the data that comes in. That when we take all of these bits of data, our worldview helps to understand the world in much simpler terms. But the one problem with the worldview is we're always self-confirming. And we see this all of the time. We call it self-justification. Something doesn't fit the grid and we self-justify. That is us pushing the facts into the reality of the grid. Another way to think of it, remember back way in the old days where uh, the great mathematicians of the world thought that uh, the solar system all revolved around the earth? until some mathematicians came in and they saw that certain heavenly bodies were moving in a way that was didn't fit that grid. And they saw this fact, something came in, a disruption that came in that, that changed their worldview. They had a paradigm shift and they saw the world completely differently. Now that is how it can be with God. When this thing comes into your life and you can't account for it you have a view of the world you've got a set of beliefs it comes in it's what i call their paradigm bombs something comes in and it shifts your view of the world and you see everything differently mine my story was that i said to uh, this guy last week that i I'd, I'd cut my hand on a glass in my last week of living in canada and i'd gone to the doctor's surgery and i'd waited there for 6 hours And I was so frustrated that uh, when the doctor came in, I sarcastically asked, well, how's your day been, doctor? He said, well, here's how it's been. I've just been in with a little girl. I said, what do you want, sweetie? And she says, I want 345 milligrams of Finergan. He thought, that's strange that she would ask so specifically. Why do you want that, honey? Oh, because uh, I'm sick in the tummy and I vomit all of the time. And it was at that point that he said to me that I realised, without having to look at her case notes, that, sh- that this little eight-year-old girl had a terminal case of stomach cancer. How's your day going, doctor? It was a paradigm bomb. My- Maybe maybe my grid was just so self-absorbed at the time that I couldn't think of anything else. And it was at that point that I thought, if this girl has only got six months to live and I might be lucky enough to get six years or 60 years, I've got to, I've got to see the world differently. And it was at that point I went out to the side of the street in minus 15 degree temperatures. I got on a bus. I went up Centre Street. I went to a church. And it was there that I had one of the most profound experiences of God in my life. It's there that I received the call from God. And the only time in my life where I felt I've heard the audible voice of God calling me to something, that's how it happened. Because he disrupted me. Now, of course, there's a journey that goes on from all of that. But has has that been true for you, Christian? Has there been a disrupting moment in your life? And, And in fact, this is great for Christians that are feeling stale or feeling old or feeling... Like there's just not that same sort of fire and excitement in their faith anymore. Because the great news is that the very way that you reignite that fire is you go back to that first disrupting moment. That they don't happen all in life, but there is a time in which God disrupted you. He threw a paradigm bomb in there. Now, it also means for you, if you're a non-Christian, it means you won't even begin to find God unless you're willing like Moses to take a bit of a detour. We live busy lives, don't we? Our head, is, our head is always in, in the family business. We're always, we're always tending the sheep. We don't think to look the other way. There's always stuff happening in life. That's why so often, whether it's a moment of crisis, whether it's a moment in the middle of nowhere, that God hits you because you're seeing something different. So has there been a disruptive moment for you? You won't find God until he disrupts you. Uh, And that, too, is the very way that you can begin to explain, like I just have, the way that your story is relevant and transforming to someone who's never heard about God. But of course, it's more than just disruptions, as we know. You can't have a lifetime of disrupting moments. So we see in Moses, he now not only has a disrupting moment, but he has an expanding view of God. What do I mean, expanding view of God? He says... He goes across there because he saw that the bush, it didn't burn up. It was a strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? So he goes over and it's this little bit of almost tumbleweed over there that continues to happen. And suddenly Moses is taken into an expanding view of God. Here's the point. The first thing he's, he realized is that the fire was not dependent on fuel. So already that, starts to, that paradigm bombs him. That, that doesn't make any sense. But what does this represent? It re- represents, you get a hint of this as you go through the passage and you see the conversation that he has with Moses and God. He goes in, there's a big story, there's a big call. Uh, God says to Moses, why don't you go in to the leader of the world's largest and most powerful military power that there is and tell him that he's to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who am I to do that? And God says, tell them that I am sent to you. Tell them that I am, I am that I am, a really weird phrase for him to say. But what what God was getting at is he just says, tell them that the one who exists sent you. So in some ways, Moses starts to get a sense, like we do, that God being God will exist forever. But the thing that also mucked my brain up about this as I thought through this was that not only will God exist for eternity, but God has already existed for eternity in the opposite direction. Now does that m- muck with your brain a little bit? <laughs> does that start to start to fry your head a little bit? It's like Gus, another one of the guys here, that in Christianity explained, he just simply asked the question, "Is this whole thing mental?" And what he meant by that is he was beginning to have an expanding view of God. He was describing the dynamic that when you come to know God, the more that you know God, the more that it starts to blow your mind, the more that you start to see his size and his majesty and his inexplicability, and it expands you, you start to have a bigger picture of God. And so if that is you, if that starts to scramble your head a bit, I'll tell you why it's such a positive sign. Moses and you are in the right direction if you're getting an expanded view of God. I guess the question is, can you think of the moments in your life when you're a Christian when this has happened to you? Is this constantly happening to you? That's one of the great challenges as Christians is that we, we sign off. We don't have an ever-expanding view of God. I've sat in Bible studies where we've sat down with a, with a passage, and I swear it's gone like this. We sat down with a passage and people around the group have said, uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm a Presbyterian, so I read it like this. And the next person says, well, I'm a Baptist, so I read it like this. And the next person said, well, I'm a new Christian, so I read like it. Literally, that was a Bible study. It's this sense that Christians, as they get older, they develop this exoskeleton around them that gets crusty. They sign off. They're, they're constantly not being expanded by the wonder and the majesty of God. If it's, if your view of God is just expanding, whether you're a A Christian or you're still searching, then you're on the right path. But here's also why an expanding view is so significant. Because when I talk to my good friends and people that I know that don't believe in God or are searching for God, often their objections go like this. "Oh, that I can't believe in a God who would do this. Or I can't believe in a God that would do that. And I can't believe in a God that would allow children to suffer. And I can't believe in a God that would allow disease in the world. And four out of five times when they say that, I'm able to say, you know what, I don't believe in that God either. And when they hear that, they go, well, well, what, what, what are you talking about? And I say, well, the Bible's always telling you that, and always saying that you think God is this, but he's really that. You think God is this, but he's really that. You think God is this big, but he's really that big. <laughs> and it constantly expands your view of him. Because almost, almost always, people disbelieve in a one-dimensional God. In a flat God. In a nothing else God. In a simplistic God. And the thing is, the simpler your view of God, the more rejectable he becomes. It's easy to reject a statement here or there, but if you move into the Bible and you see this nuanced God, this bush that's not burning up type God, then your view of him expands. And so that's exciting for people. If they see the way that your view of God and of the world is expanding because you've met him, then that's a powerful thing. So my question for you is, how is your view of God expanding? That's what happened to Moses. But here's the other thing. We had disruption, expansion, but then we also now have it gets into the Brass tacks, as they say, of it all. When God contradicts Moses, there's a contradiction here in verse 4. we only see it in the language if you look at it closely. But verse 4 says of Exodus 3, When the law saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And God said, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're stepping on holy ground. Now, there's a contradiction here. Uh, In the English, it sort of doesn't make sense. Moses, Moses. Like as the NIV put a word in, autocorrect, should have deleted that out. But it's there deliberately because in the Hebrew, a doubling of the word meant magnitude. And so, for example, when Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Or when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. When you see... All of the nuances of this doubling of a person's name in the Hebrew, what it effectively meant is an intensity or a desire for intensity in the relationship. And so here's why it's an incredible contradiction that we have in this passage here, because the doubling of the name meant an emotional intensity. Now, are you starting to work it out yet? When God says, Moses, Moses, don't come any closer, God's saying, Moses, I want to have a relationship with you. Now, get away. It's a contradiction. I, I want to be close to you, but you can't touch me. Now, some of you st- have people or still have people like that in your life. God, <laughs> oh, come in, come in. No, get away. Um, God's not playing push-pull games here. Uh, he's dealing with his contradictory reality, and that is that God is simultaneously a holy, consuming God and a loving God. That he is both traumatic and he's beautiful. That he, he's, that he is both at the same time untouchable but desires to be relational. It's a total contradiction and that is why fire is such the perfect illustration, right? Fire has a traumatic beauty. I don't know if it's just me, maybe I'm a firebug. But whenever I see fire, I'm, you're drawn to fire. You, you, it, it's, it's almost attractive, isn't it? As you watch it, you're drawn into it. You feel its warmth but don't touch it or it'll burn you. It's such a wonderful image of this, what we call a theophany, this, this manifestation of God to represent what he's like in reality. And here's what it means today. This contradictory nature of God is the very thing that you and I need to be transformed. You see, when Moses asks, who are you? or Who should I say you are when I go to the leader of this military power? God doesn't answer him, oh yeah, my name is the God that you want. He answers him, I am I am that I am. I am the God that I am. And what that means is, look, if his name was I am what you want, then he wouldn't have been a fiery bush. He would have been a big lump of clay. Right? Because if he was the God that you want, then you could mold him and you can shape him and you can turn him to whatever nice figurine you'd like him to be. But if he's fire... You see, it's so applicable for the person that's searching. And they often, the person that's searching, you know, you often Christians can talk like this. Well, I'm looking for God and you've got your faith and you've got your views and I've got mine. And so I'm searching and I'm just trying to find out what truth works for me. And I wonder if this fits. And I'm wondering what I have to give up and let go. And I just wonder if this whole Christianity thing will work for me. Now, what are you doing? What you're looking for is a God who fits you, not a God that you fit. Clay is molded by the toucher. Fire melts the touchy. And if you're going to have an experience of God, make sure, please make sure it's a God that contradicts you. For heaven's sake, make sure it's a God that contradicts you. And here's what I mean by that. Look, McDonald's at the moment, they've got this new snazzy thing. Uh, called Build Your Own Burger, have you guys seen that yet at McDonald's? Uh, you go in and there are these giant touchscreen TVs and you don't go to the counter anymore to talk to the girl, you just you build your own burger and you scroll up and down the screen, you can have cheese and some gherkins and some onions and I can have like four patties if I'm feeling hungry. You can have whatever you want on your burger at the moment. They say, what's their catchphrase? Um, oh, so very un-McDonald's. Because Macca's was the cookie-cutter model that was out there, and now you just get to build your own, build your own burger. Here's what I realised. We're the generation of customization. Custom cars, custom houses, custom burgers. Dare I say even today, custom kids. Now, Is it possible that all of that approach rubs off onto the average person's view of God? That when you say, oh, "I wonder if Christianity will fit for me," I wonder how all of this will work. Or what are you do? What are you doing? You, you're creating your own God. And if you're creating your own God and he doesn't contradict you, then how will he ever be any help to you? Where will the power come from? Where will the resource come from? Where where will the where will the growth and the transformation come from if he's just an extension of what you would like? How do you know that you're getting close to the real God? How do you know that you're getting close to the fiery God, not the clay God? How do you know that you're getting close to the contradictory, all-consuming but all-loving God? When you get close to him, you have a a soul quake. A soul quake. You know when Isaiah had a soul quake, when he saw the vision and the presence of God? What was Isaiah's reaction when he got face-to-face with God? He says, get away from me, I'm unclean. And you see, what a soul quake does is a soul quake shakes off, shakes off everything that you had thought was significant and you'd built yourself upon. A soul quake in you shakes off the self-deceptions. Suddenly you're not blind to your own inadequacies anymore. You see yourself for who you are and what the world really is. A soul quake, your self-image just falls apart. It shakes off you. A soul quake, your self-justifications just seem so lame. Now, isn't that often the power in sharing your story? To any one of my brothers and sisters here, has that not been the underlying theme of your story? Is that not why we as Christians sing Amazing Grace? I was once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was this, and now I am that. I once had this, and now that. I had a soul quake because he contradicted me. Has he contradicted you? Do you want him to contradict you? They'll make you better. They won't demoralise. They'll make you. They'll make you better. And here's why: because we're probably at that end as we finish off the last point this morning. Probably at that point going great. That's so cheery. <laughs> that's wonderfully. That's that's wonderfully inspiring. <laughs> Get next. To, it's exactly the God that you Christians always talk about. I know. I'm bad. He's good. <laughs> He says, "He says Moses, Moses. And he says, insert your name here, insert your name here. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's a God who wants to get close to you. Why does God call Moses over? Why does he call him over? Just for a chat? A little bit of a chit-chat? Moses is bored in the family business? No, he calls him over and he says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I'll be with you. You see, it's one of the great themes of the Bible that God only draws you in in order to fling you back out again. (laughs) You're only ever blessed in order to be a blessing to other people. This is a God that comes and speaks as an angel in the middle of the fire. Now, there's an interesting image. We pick up on that one as well. It wasn't just this nebulous fire. There was almost a person within the fire. This funny angel that was in there. Angel talks to Moses. In fact, whenever it talks about God talk, he's talking through the angel and it's the angel that is conversing it's the angel that is mediating out of all of this now it's not any other ordinary angel because whenever you saw an angel in the bible if anyone ever worshipped an angel the angel would say no don't worship me i'm sort of like you i'm a creature like you get up but not this angel the angel of the lord was distinctly different and whenever the angel of the lord was there people would be scared of it it would worship it and it wouldn't tell them to get back up it almost received the worship And what's this mysterious figure that that turns up? We see 3,000 years later from this experience, a bunch of religious guys are having a debate in the temple in Jerusalem. And this guy, Jesus, says, Before Abraham I am. He doesn't say, Before Abraham I was, otherwise he'd look like a bozo. They go, You can't possibly be 3,000 years old. You're full of it. But he says, before Abraham I am. How could Jesus say before Abraham I am? It's because those words had already come from his lips. And some of the great commentators like Alex Motius says the angel of the Lord, whenever it turns up, most commentators believe that is a hint, if not the very essence of the pre incarnate Jesus. They're mediating exactly the picture that we have in the New Testament, mediating, mediating between God and man. That is the great challenge in any, any culture around the world, particularly those that are dealing with a transcendent, holy, all-consuming, fiery God. How can the heck can a fiery God live and be relational with people only if one mediates? And more importantly, the old days—if it was a fiery god—you'd have to offer up sacrifices, and you'd have to appease him in order to have a guilt offering, and and the sacrifice would be burnt up and be consumed, so you could finally relate to that god. And yet, we of the New Testament know something vastly different from Moses. You see, how how do how do we relate to this fiery god now? You know, there was one, there was one that was a final sacrifice once and. For all, there was one that was thrown into the fire of God's holiness, but also represented his love, and we see that at the cross. That at the cross, as Jesus Christ took upon all of God's fiery wrath, at the same time, we see the love of God expressed in that relationship that he sends his own son willingly to atone for us. So here's the point I'm getting too theological. (laughs) What does it mean? The question is, where are all the burning bushes today in society? I mean, wouldn't that... Sometimes I think as a Christian, my friends just need a burning bush. They just get a revelation of God, the burning bush. God didn't send a burning bush to Pharaoh because he sent Moses. Where are the burning bushes today? I'm looking at a couple of hundred of them. And the great reality in Jesus Christ, when we, when we are united to that that all-consuming holy God in that the whole point of his relationship was that his beauty and his radiance and his wonder and his holiness would reside in us and shine out. And so burning bush is a little bit Old Testament picture of it all, where the uh, lights on the outside and the bushes on the inside, whereas it's sort of the other way around in the New Testament and the bushes on the outside and the lights on the inside. I guess we've got burning bushes. Another way to describe it would be fireflies. The light of the world. Christ, the hope of glory in you. God might not be sending it to Pharaoh, but he could be sending it to a friend, he could be sending it to a family member. The whole point of this is that God reveals himself to us so that we would be his holiness and we would be his glory. Here's what I mean as we finish. Burning bushes are those who are to display the contradictory, traumatic holiness and beauty of God and not be consumed by it themselves. Burning bushes disrupt people. Is your life disruptive to your friends? Are you a a paradigm bomb for your friends? Is there something so distinct about you that, that... Suddenly you don't fit your friend's grid anymore. That there are people whose businesses are going down, and there are people whose relationships are failing, and they're getting bitter and they're getting angry and you're getting happier through the midst of those sorts of things. How does that happen? That's a burning bush. Are you expanding people's view of God? Is there something inexplicable about you? Are you constantly growing? Are they seeing a resource within you? Are you contradictory? Are you distinct from the world but for the world? That's everything we said fireflies were. Are you, are you distinctly different and holy yet at the same time relatable to the world around you? You're a burning bush. And most of all, the question you've got to ask yourself is, where has he sent me? He may not be sending me to Pharaoh, you say, but he could be sending me to a friend. He could be sending me to a next door neighbor. And when you, there is nothing like, right, having an enormously ridiculous mission to live life for. Isn't that all the great movies? Isn't that what kids are like when you say to, what, when you say to kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do they say, I want to be an accountant? No, they want to be an astronaut. They want to be a firefighter. They want to be a princess. We, we, want to live, we want to live big lives and somewhere along the line, we sign off. That exoskeleton again, we sign off. God says, I have made you a burning bush. I've made you the burning bush, the sworn Christian, to go in and to be distinctly different and to disrupt the world around you. Guys, you are made for nobler things than this ordinary life. He doesn't call you just to fill your ordinary needs. He doesn't disrupt you, so you can keep going tending your own sheep. If you want a big life, you have to see where he is sending you. Do you see that this week? Are you a burning bush? Are you burning with the uncommon, distinct, beautiful light of God's beauty and holiness? Are you disrupting people in your world? Not the overt, big hair, pin, cowboy boot way, but in the subtle, intriguing, distinctive way. And look, I've got to say this morning, if you're just searching, we're glad you're here. Maybe maybe this is a disrupting moment. Why are you here? Why are you not still sleeping in? Maybe you're on a detour. Maybe you have looked up from your life this morning. Maybe God has done something. Go with it. It's the beginning to finding him. The way you become a a brighter burning bush is the very way that you were set fire in the first place, friend. How did he disrupt you? How is he expanding your view? Is he contradicting you? Where is he sending you? Let's pray. Father, uh, we ask that... uh, That you would reignite some of us this morning, Lord. And Father, I don't deny that um, there is so much of life, myself included, that consumes us, and we're not consumed by you. The busyness, the the ordinariness of it, the meetings, the agendas, the things to be done. Father, if anything disrupt us this morning, shake us slightly, give us a vision that is beyond the ordinary this morning may we rediscover you in a new and a fresh way i pray for every one of my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would be ordaining moses moments in their life this week that there would be moments for just one or two or three if it be your will this morning out of all of us here they're going to have an opportunity to share their story and in so doing We pray that with this framework, Father, there might be a transforming power that emerges from all of that. So we recognize, Father, it's all part of your plan, just as it was for Moses and just as it's always been down throughout the ages. May there be a real confidence in us, knowing that being the case. But at the same time, give us an openness and an awareness to where you're already at work, to how the smallest of conversations and sowing those seeds can lead to such magnificent things. Fill us with the joy of your mission, Father. May every person walk out of this place with a sense of being part of something bigger. And by that, may we be excited. By that, may we be fulfilled and satisfied in all we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come now to a time of communion. Jesus um, gathered his fireflies together, his, uh, his 12 burning bushes. They were the guys that hung around him, we call them the disciples. But they were, that. they were distinctly different from the world that was around them because wherever they went, basically 11 of the 12 died for their faith. Um, they, 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 were, they were different. They were, dis- they were so disruptive, they changed the world, basically. So there's an opportunity for you now to come back to that moment. He said, My body broken for you, my blood shed for you. This is the this is the profound mystery of Christianity in its most tangible and understandable forms. That problem with how the heck do you deal with um holy, all-consuming, fiery God. <laughs> and at the same time be close. He says. Moses, Moses come close now go away that's what he said then but because of this work that was done here he can simply say come close stay, dwell, be with me commune with me and so as you do that Christian whether you're from this church or not it's a chance for us to rediscover and to think through those moments in our lives just rethink through that story this morning when God disrupted you, maybe some of you are going to come back to that calling again this morning. Be reset a light again. Use, use this time to process uh, as we come to this time of communion. If you're still checking this whole Christianity thing out, uh, this whole morning, even this moment now is your burning bush moment. Um, get intrigued. What if Moses had never have gone across to that bush, the most epical moment in history would never have happened now they make Hollywood movies out of this stuff now because you just went across because are you intrigued are you intrigued then 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 walk to the back of the auditorium this morning and ask us what it means to follow Jesus Christ but now there's an opportunity for us to uh, take communion we're also going to have the ministry of anointing If you want to take this identity upon yourself, if you want to sense and encounter God, if you want to experience God, we're going to anoint your head with oil. It's a symbol of your presence and power in life. And so we're going to share in some of that uh, ministry time as well. Before we finish too, though, I want to take the opportunity. I was just wondering where it fit. But it sort of fits because it's a paradigm bomb. But uh, many of us were rocked by the image Uh, of a three-year-old boy laying face down uh, on a beach this week. Um, It's a paradigm bomb. It's a paradigm bomb because there are paradigms out there that say all refugees are criminal. uh, All refugees are just queue jumpers. uh, All refugees just want to get into countries to suck the best out of it. Um, I've been challenged by that. It's a paradigm bomb paradigm bomb because we talk theology and we talk all of this sort of stuff and um, on Father's Day there's a father who's not spending it with his son there are things that are not right with this world we may not fix it we may not change the government with it all. We may not even share that opinion. It's part of what God calls us into as the church and as Christians. And I am so thankful for a premier at the moment who is showing the most remarkable Christian-led. You want to see a burning bush, you look at Premier Mike Baird. I don't think he's perfect, but I think he is one who is living out what it means to be a firefly. And he is petitioning our government to get something done wherever you sit in that sort of spectrum may we use that paradigm bomb to say we as christians exist to see a world that is better than that the great promise as much as it hurts us now as this god says is is tragic um, as that is he says i'm coming to make all things new and so we need to pray for the world we need to pray for syria we need to pray for this situation we need to stop and reflect if anything how blessed we are this morning so will you join me with me in prayer